0: Hello, hello, hello. Good to see everybody. Hope you had a, you've had a great summer so far. Has it been good, been good so far, good? Hey, listen, a um, couple things. Uh, it's good to be back. Sorry to uh, miss Daryl, and I'm, I'm sure you're sorry about that too, but he will be back shortly. Want to greet those who are watching online. Glad that you're able to join us, even if it's virtually. Hey, and since the last time I was here, I just want to let you know I have a new job, a new responsibility at Crown College. So back in the spring, our president asked if I would transition over to the academic aisle of the institution, and so uh, as of Monday, I officially work as the dean of the School of Theology and Ministry. And so I oversee our uh, programs, our academic programs, that help uh, students get into full-time ministry or prepare for uh, graduate school. So I I say all that, just to say, would you, as God would bring you to mind, would you pray for us at Crown College? We are your college. We're part of the same uh, denomination as this church, and we have a variety of educational opportunities, and we really seek to partner with churches in the work we do to bring young people to our institution, equip them, and then launch them into the world. We also have a whole bevy of online opportunities for those of you who might be interested in that, as well, so just as God brings it to mind, would you pray for us as we do that work? I would appreciate that very much. Hey, tonight, I have the opportunity to share from God's word, and I don't know what you're expecting. This week, I was reading that for most of the people in the United States, this study revealed that for most people, when they come to church, their highest expectation, their deepest longing for church is to not be bored. not a great target necessarily to aspire to, but I hope that you have come here tonight with elevated expectations, that your anticipation is that when we gather, when God's people gather, and we worship him, and we look at the words that he has given to us in this book, that our anticipation is that he's gonna speak to us. He's gonna say something to us during this time. And we're going to see that particularly tonight as we study the scriptures. So will you pray with me as we look into God's word? Father, thank you for young people who have a heart for worship and a desire to take their gifts and their abilities and share them with the family of God by leading us in worship. Thank you for that group. Thank you for the reminder in song that you are mighty to save. That whatever burden, whatever desire, whatever ache that we bring into this space, you are mighty to save, to deliver and rescue us. And we need that reminder frequently. Thank you that we're not alone. So now as we open your word in front of us, as we think about the words that are said here, Would you speak to us? Raise us above the level of mere boredom to a place of attentive listening. And this I pray in your name, amen. Well, the time comes in every parent's life where you must stand up and do the right thing. On this particular day, it was a day like this, deep into the summer months, The sky, the the sun was in the midday, warming the street outside my house, and it was my turn. So I put on a helmet, I put on the knee pads, I put on the shoulder pads, put on the gloves, and I went out to the street to teach my daughter how to ride a bicycle. And you, if you've ever had to do this, you know what this is like. You're kind of jogging a little bit behind the bicycle and you're saying several things over and over to them like look up, look up, look up, look up, right? Because they'd like to admire their technique. And then of course you're saying to them, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And as we're doing this and we're up and back and down and forth across the street as we would go and she's starting to get the hang of it and so every once in a while I would release her to kind of pedal on her own. And then one of those moments when she looked down and started to pay attention to her technique. She started to drift off to the side. And as I'm watching this occur, with the reflexes of Spider-Man, with the strength of Superman, I reached out and grabbed her shirt and pulled her off of the bicycle just as the bicycle hit the curb. And I laid her down safely on the blacktop. And in that moment, the neighbors on our street came out and began to applaud as they witnessed this moment in history. And that's the day that I became an avenger. And I realized, I hadn't realized it. I hadn't realized it. But on that day, I had a cape that I wore around the neck, and I became a superhero in the family. And the strength that I had in that moment. And I think for many of us, we have those moments, not just the physical moments, but We have moments when we like to think that we have that cape on, that we have that superhero strength. Pastors sometimes think that, you know. We get the call and it's our duty you know, to show up at the crisis and the people in the church hear the sound and they look in the sky. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's super pastor. And we show up and we rescue people from their emergency. And we like to think of ourselves as having that kind of importance maybe, right? And we live in a country that was founded by explorers and pioneers who have a rugged individualism, autonomy. I can do it myself. And we have in our own vernacular various statements to reinforce this idea that we have a cape on, we can do it. So we need to power through something, we say. Of course, we can't power through something until we have a power nap, I might add. Or we're gonna muscle through it. Or you got this, girl. Or maybe we say things like this. Don't let them see you what? Sweat. Sweat. You've got this, you've got a cape on. You can muscle through it. And maybe there's no single greatest, or great evidence of our own sense of independence than how little we pray. The fact that we don't ask God for help more frequently just shows how often we think we're wearing a cape. In our Bible passage, we're gonna be introduced to one of the lead characters who's the business owner. He's been successful. His career's thriving except for this particular day. He's got a number of employees. He's got partners. And his life is kind of in order. He feels confident. He feels strong. Maybe omnicompetent to do the things that he's supposed to do, and he doesn't need anyone else. In fact, when we enter into the story, I want you to know that his cape is tightly tied around his neck. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 5, or tap over to Luke chapter 5, or just watch on the screen as we bring up the verses in Luke chapter 5. My prayer for us today is that the story that we're going to rehearse and the impact that this account had on those present in the original narrative, that that impact might be multiplied many times in this room today. Here's how the story begins. Luke chapter five, verse one, gives us the setting. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Here we see Jesus, he's traveling around. In Luke chapter four, he begins to do miracles and word of that begins to spread and a mass of people begin to gather wherever Jesus is at. That seems to be kind of the way his ministry occurs throughout the gospels. And they gather on this particular day at the Lake of Gennesaret. It's sometimes known as the Sea of Galilee. Probably better labeled a lake than a sea because it's not that big as far as seas and lakes go. It's about 13 miles long and about eight miles wide. And it becomes the epicenter for Jesus' ministry In fact, 18 of the 33 miracles that Jesus performs happen on the shorelines around this particular lake. At this particular town where this event is taking place, there's about 15,000 people that live in that community. And Jesus shows up and he begins to speak. Now notice very carefully in the text how it's worded. It says the people were crowding around him and listening to what? The word God. Of God. Please understand that what Luke is indicating here. That Jesus is just, he is not merely another itinerant rabbi speaking words of wisdom. No, this is much different than that. This is unlike anything that these people have ever heard. The words that are coming forth from the mouth of Jesus are actually the words of God, the creator. These are the kind of words that put in motion galaxies. And so the people huddle around Jesus. Several times in the Bible, a reference to the word of God is made in which the word of God is compared to some kind of uh, food. For example... At one point we read that people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, word of God compared to food. What you have in this story are people hungry for the word of God. There's a longing, there's an anticipation. They have shown up because they want and need to hear something that they can't get anywhere else except by this person, Jesus. And that hunger, they, they hear the word of God and it's delicious to them. I mentioned when I came up that I read this week that for many people, the highest expectation when they attend church is that they don't want to be bored. It's probably a good opportunity for us to do a little assessment in our own hunger, and appetite for the Word of God. These people were crowding, shoulder to shoulder, longing to get just a morsel of the Word of God. A faith community will never rise above its appetite for the Word of God how's your appetite tonight, church? How's your appetite? One of the things that I think is true, just so that we settle this tonight, as fallible as the human messenger is, to the degree that I speak things that represent this book, you and I have opportunity to hear the word of God. Tonight, on this day, You and I have opportunity to hear from God. What a sacred moment. I hope you view it that way. The people were crowding around Jesus, listening to the word of God. Verse two, Jesus saw at the water's edge, it says, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Simon is also Peter, just so you know. He got into the boat belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. While there were crowds of people gathering to hear the word of God, please note, that not everybody was hungry for the word of God. What was happening to the fishermen? You have the crowds of people on one side pressing in on Jesus, and on the other side, you have a group of fishermen who had fished all night, as the story will tell us in a moment, and they've caught nothing, and they're, they're busy with their nets. Nets are important to fishermen, particularly in that day. That was how they made their livelihood. It was their business. And the the nets were to be cleaned after every time they went out to fish so that the nets could be light. And so they would clean out the debris, and sometimes if the, fish or the nets would get snagged and they would tear, they would have to use their gnarly fingers to uh, mend the nets so that they could use them again. And it was a, uh, a task that took a lot of time and effort. And so here they were tending to the nets, While Jesus is over-teaching the word of God to the crowds of people, and the impression that Luke is intending to give us is that while there were people listening to Jesus, some were not. And I think there's always people that intend to hear the word of God and others who merely over-hear the word of God. They were busy with their nets when the most important words in the universe are being spoken just steps away. They were overhearing what they should have been hearing. We have a family member who, and maybe every family has a person like this when you get to know the extended family, but we had a family member in our family who always had the television on when you're in their house. You have someone like that, maybe you are somebody and so you'd go to this person's house and the television was on. It was usually HGTV or something of that nature. And it was just buzzing in the background. And the television literally stayed on 24 7. And so meals were planned, conversations were had, decisions were made with the television on. And there was almost no real attention given to the television. Every once in a while, someone might say, oh, that's kind of interesting, and stop and pause and pay attention for a second, and then move on with their life. As long as the television was on and it didn't interrupt their life, it was okay to have the television on. And some people treat Jesus that way. He's kind of background music. Not antagonistic to Jesus. Don't really oppose Jesus. It's okay if he speaks the word of God. I'll overhear it. But it's just background music to the real things that I need to get around. I mean, after all, have you seen my cape? I've got important things to do, I have things to achieve. And it feels good to be important and to achieve. And therefore, I focus on those things and I miss the more important thing. And Jesus just becomes noise, white noise, in the background of our lives. Now, knowing that and realizing that, Jesus says, you know what? To those fishermen, hey, can I can I borrow the boat that you just dry docked? And Jesus gets in the boat, pulls out a little bit from the edge of the shore, sits down, and teaches the people. And what do the fishermen do? They're still cleaning the nets. By the way, in 1986, a group of uh, scholars, archaeologists found a boat in the Sea of Galilee that was dated from the first century. It was re, it's referred to as the Jesus boat. It's not the boat of this story. Please understand, I'm not saying that. They just found a boat like the boat that would be part of this story. And that boat was 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. That gives you the scope of these kind of fishing boats. And there's Jesus sitting in that boat teaching the people. And you get the sense, please watch this now, Jesus is trying to get the attention of Peter. So he asks for his boat. Simon Peter says, okay, you can borrow the boat, just don't bother me while I finish my nets. Story continues now in verse four. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who is Peter, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Let's just stop there for a moment. Here's Jesus' great ask to Peter. Jesus finished speaking. The message is done. And he says, Can I take the nets that you've been cleaning and use them to go fishing? Now, everybody in that crowd had been to Bass Pro Shop. And they all knew something. They all knew that you don't go fishing in the middle of the day and you don't go fishing in the deep water. Now, re- remember, the story opens with Peter, the professional fisherman who is finished fishing. He's cleaning the nets because the fishing is done. And Jesus, getting Peter's attention, says, "Uh, Peter, uh, I'd like to take the nets. I've taken your boat, right? And you've used it as a stage, a floating stage for my ministry. Uh, What I'd like to do uh, is I'd like to get those nets out of your hands, if I could. And I'd like to go out and I'd like to dirty them again and I think Peter heard that as like, hey, look, uh, I know you're tired, but I'm gonna rob you of your sleep and I'm gonna take, hijack your boat and your nets. Oh, by the way, and I'm gonna teach you how to do your job, right? Because remember, Jesus is the carpenter turned teacher, now turned fisherman. Now, as you read this text, Luke, who wrote this as a physician, and Luke, who's given you an orderly account, realized that he was gonna have to summarize and edit some of the story. So what, happily for you, I was able to go on Inner Google and find out what really happened at this event. You, did, you didn't know you were gonna get this kind of inside stuff tonight, but you're getting it. Okay, so here's what happened. When Jesus asked for the nets, Peter walked over and whispered. You didn't know this, but he whispered into Jesus' ear, and he said, you're crazy. He's like, I appreciate your theology. I like your talk. I dig your vibe. Oh, and by the way, you can read about this in chapter four. Thank you for healing my mother-in-law, and I'm indebted to you, but Jesus, please abandon the fishing expedition. This is only going to make you look like a fool. And I do not want to have to tell you, I told you so. But what Luke records is the words of Peter in verse 5. And it says it this way. Master, it's a sign of respect. Master. It's like saying, sir. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now, I want you to know, this is how I envision this happening. You read read that, right, and you you hear Peter saying, right, you're gonna look crazy if you do this. Right, we've worked hard all night, and by the way, professional fishermen, we've caught nothing. There are no fish left in that lake. And I envision that Peter looked at the crowd that had gathered, remember? And he wants to make it very, very clear, this is not my idea. Master, he's verbalizing to Jesus and he's looking at the crowd. Hey, master, we have worked hard all night. We have caught nothing. This is foolishness. You're just making more work for me. Now notice the next statement. But because you say so, Jesus... I will let down the nets. Because you say so, Jesus. This is not my idea. Crowds of people, this is not my idea. This is squarely on Jesus that we're doing this. Now, Peter gets a bad rap in this passage often, but I want you to at least notice that Peter does do what Jesus asked him to do. He gives Jesus the nets. He's reluctant, he's hesitant, but he does do it. And so here you have now in the next verse, it says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, <clears throat> fortunate again for you, I was, I was able to find this in inter Google. What happened was Peter got in the boat with the nets And they went out to the deep. Remember, they're not supposed to go in the deep. That's not where the fish are. Fish are in the shallow. But Jesus said, let down in the deep. So they go out in the deep. And while they're out there, they're watching. And the the nets are thrown on the side of the boat. Jesus is on the shore. And nothing. One fish jumps into the net. And Peter looks over to Jesus and goes, like, told you so. But when Peter looks back, the nets are full. Now, what's happening here? This is what's happening. Jesus is Lord of the fish. Jesus made the lake and the fish and the wood out of which the boat is made and the nets And Jesus commands the fish to jump into the nets to their own death. Where Peter is hesitant, the fish are not. And the Lord of the fish causes them to jump into the net. And now it says that the the nets were so full that the nets began to break. Those precious nets that Peter had. He was cleaning, and now they're about to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. They're about to lose the boats and their nets at Jesus' bidding. Now remember, we started the story with Peter having his on. Jesus, I'm okay if you're in the background. Jesus, I'm okay if you do your thing. Jesus, if you want to teach, even use my boat. I'm fine with that. Just don't interrupt me. Jesus, stay in your lane. You're a theologian, you're the teacher, we're the fishermen. Stay in your lane. And we often do that, right? We compartmentalize. Jesus, we we want you, we like you when you're over here in this side of our life. When it revolves around our religious selves, Jesus, you're fine. Otherwise, I've got a cape on and I'm fine without you. Jesus, it's okay if in the moment of death, when that comes to someone I love and I have a a moment of grief, it is nice to know that you're real. Thank you, Jesus, but the rest of my life, I've got a cape on. Maybe when there's a financial crisis or when the news of cancer hits our family, then I would talk about Jesus. I need you then, Jesus, but the rest of my life I've got a cape on. That's how Peter's approaching this. And as they pull those boats and those nets upon the shore, you would think that Peter would say, Jesus, I've got a proposition for you. I'll cut you in on the business 50-50. 50. Every time. all you need to do, Jesus, is walk by the lake about once a week and just command the fish into the boat. I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple proposition. We'll go into halves here. But watch what happens to the person with the cape on. Verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. In that moment, Peter had gone from being the professional fisherman where he would show Jesus respect and say, master, master, Sir, now his language has changed. He uses the word Lord, which is the word that's used for God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus, you are unlike anything else or anyone else I have ever come in contact with. You are not just merely master. You are Lord. And the the Peter who made sure that it was clear to the crowds that he was not the author of this ridiculous idea of going fishing in the middle of the day, who wanted to protect his public image and reputation, was now in a posture of humiliation before Jesus, on his knees. Jesus, you are Lord, you are owner of everything. I've never seen this before, but you are now Lord of everything. And because of that, I recognize I am so unworthy to be in your presence that I'm asking you to do me this one favor. Would you please walk away from me? Years ago, I was a pastor of a church in Indiana, and we needed to have some construction and remodeling done in our building. And so we were bringing in contractors to survey our project and give us estimates. We walked through the foyer. I walked through the foyer with this gentleman, young gentleman, probably 30 years of age. And I opened the doors to our meeting, our gathering space, our sanctuary. And I opened the doors to walk into that space. And I kid you not, he walked right up to the threshold and stopped. And he said i am sorry but i know my life and i can't go in there and i telling you the truth we walked back outside and down the stairs and around to the other side of the building because he felt so unworthy to walk through the sanctuary of the church How different that is than what is so often our pattern of tripping into the presence of God without any thought. Peter had a very different vision of who Jesus is based on this catch. And I would suggest to you that we need to be careful that we don't prioritize our personal comfort, that we no longer have a sense that when we gather, that we are in the presence of a dangerous living God. We have domesticated God, we've tamed him, he's predictable. He does the things we want him to do when we want him to do them. We call on him when we want to call on him When all of our options are out, he becomes the primary option. Read through the book of Revelation. In that book, in that time period, the Roman Empire is pressing on the Christians and in that moment, the, the author John delivers a book that in essence the book is saying this. Why would you fear the Romans when this is your God? you should fear him instead. God is not domesticated, but as C.S. Lewis writes in the Chronicles of Narnia, while Aslan, the lion who is the figure of Christ in the story, he is not tame as a lion, but he is good. And our Jesus is not tame, but he's good. The story continues... Peter now on his knees in front of Jesus. and Here's why. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on the shore and left everything and followed him. What happened to the nets? Isn't that interesting? What happened to the nets that were so important at the beginning of the story? What happened to the nets that Peter was busy to clean and maybe ignore the word of God coming from Jesus' lips? You know, the the message of this story can be found in just watching what happens to the nets. From tending the nets, to releasing the nets, to leaving the nets. Friends, what happened in this story is that Peter took off his cape. My challenge for us is that we live in a world where pride, independence, autonomy, what David Brooks called self-ism we center our world around ourselves. Somehow we've come to believe that we have a cape and that we can do it and muscle through our, our on our own. And this story reminds me that I can't. And that I don't have to. That there is a God who's capable of putting fish in a net. And that what my greatest need is. Found not in my superhuman strength, but maybe my my need is to come bowing before an Almighty God with open hands, nets released, saying, God, you have this. So my charge to you is this week: before your feet hit the floor of the day, is to open up your hands and say, God, you've got this. My life is yours. I bow before you, take my life, take my life. To find times throughout the day, maybe even set an alarm in your mobile device, to to stop throughout the day and say, God, I bow before you. I surrender to you. I can't do this day without you. The last thing that happens in this story is that Jesus says, don't be afraid, now you will fish for people. What happens in the story is that Peter, the fisherman, is launched into a new mission. He's launched into a new mission to take what he's experienced and share it with other people. Friends, we sometimes get so selfish with Jesus and he's calling us to take the good news, the things we've observed, the astonishment that is in this story and share that as nuggets and morsels of truth with other people. Now some of you today, before you walk out of this room, need to take off the cape. You know who you are. You know what your needs are. You know what you're going through. Moments when you have clenched tightly. I can do this without God. And you need to let that go. So in a few minutes, after we give you the final announcements and such, there are gonna be prayer uh, team members up front. And I just encourage you to come up front. Lay down the cape, Maybe even come and kneel. That's okay. There's a place for that here. Come and kneel. Now will you pray with me? God, thank you for the many good things that you do in our lives, even when you challenge us to lay down our cape, to lay down our self-sufficiency. Help us to see the marvelous way in which you work to humble us so that we might find ourselves bowing before you. And then as we leave, may we be reminded that you have called us with a mission to be people on mission, to be people that share the astonishment that we experience with you and to help lighten the load of others because we have all our sufficiency in you. We lay our capes down now in your name, amen.